Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com, and we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to linode.com changelog. This episode is brought to you by Bugsnag. Bugsnag improves the task of troubleshooting errors by making it more enjoyable and less time-consuming. For example, when an error occurs, your team can get notified via Slack, you can see diagnostic information on the error, you can identify the developer who committed the code, and Bugsnag's integration with Trello, Jira, GitHub, and many other collaboration tools makes it easy to assign and track bugs as they're being fixed. We have a special offer for our listeners. Head to bugsnag.com changelog. Try out all the features completely free for 60 days. Once again, bugsnag.com changelog. From Changelog Media, you're listening to the Changelog, a podcast featuring the hackers, leaders, and innovators of open source. I'm Adam Stachowiak, Editor-in-Chief of Changelog. On today's show, Jared and I are talking with Brandon Keepers from GitHub and Bex Warner, a recent intern at GitHub, about ProBot, a trainable robot that responds to activity on GitHub. So, Brandon, you've got this thing called ProBot, and you work at GitHub, and we've always been huge fans of what you do there and all the open source work, obviously, at GitHub, but... Uh, ProBot was recently announced. Can you kind of give us the backstory in terms of like your passion around this and how it came to be? So ProBot has kind of come out of this this long obsession for me. Um, I've been at GitHub six years, worked on the engineering team on various features. Uh, and I spent the last couple of years working closely with the open source community, um, trying to make sure that the GitHub was meeting the needs of, of large open source projects, but um, maintainers that were overburdened. Um, and kind of one of the one of the common themes that kept coming out of a lot of this was that people were asking for or wanting features that weren't necessarily um, high priority for GitHub uh, for for one reason or another. Either either they should have been priority and they they weren't, or um, they're features that you know only a few projects need and isn't necessarily something that's kind of universal to software development. Um, so I've been obsessed with with the GitHub API for a long time and built a lot of things um, over the years. Like this, built this notifications client, um, which now Andrew Nesbitt built a way better one called Octobox, but, but kind of that idea. Um, and so last year, Universe uh, GitHub Apps launched. I think it was called GitHub Integrations then. Um, and as I was talking to people, it came became pretty clear that like, People needed these features, and, and a lot of people had, had common features, um, uh, common things that they could share with each other, uh, but they didn't really feel like they were empowered to build them themselves or even that, that it was something that, that they could or should do. Uh, and so this kind of light bulb went off for me talking to people at Universe last year of, of this idea of like a scriptable GitHub or scriptable workflows. Um, you know, GitHub has all of these primitives for software development. You know, it has code, it has review, it has you know issues in project management. Um, but what it was, what it's lacking for a lot of people is this notion of like when this event happens or when this, this these conditions are met for my team and my needs, like it should kick off this this chain of of workflows. Um, and so it's it went through a bunch of iterations last fall. Uh, it started in November. I built this hack day demo where it used kind of a custom grammar and you just commit a file in your repo and it'd say, you know, on this event, when these conditions are met, then do this thing. Um, and that got it pretty far. Like I worked on that for a few weeks. And then um, 
after talking with people uh, and like kind of soliciting some feedback online, someone was like, actually like a jQuery-ish JavaScript style thing where you could you know, do like dollar sign on this event and then chain a bunch of actions together. Um, and that took it a little bit farther. And then uh, this last March, uh, there's a, one of the, the folks on the Electron team named Jacob Groundwater reached out to me. And he's like, can I give you some unsolicited advice? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is always the best. If yeah, someone offers yeah. unsolicited advice, like, always say yes. Um, Jacob is amazing. He's really brilliant. He said, he's like, hey, like, this seems like a really cool idea, but like, I feel like you're, you're trying to create an abstraction before you understand, like before you have the other layers figured out. Um, and that was, it, it helped articulate something I've been feeling. Like I've been working on this project in my free time for several months. And, you know, I'm like, I, I feel like the scriptable GitHub is really close, but like, you know, the conditions, like, so when, when a new pull request is opened, if it's a first time contributor, then do this thing. Like those, those like um, logic gates, I guess, hadn't really been teased out. And so like, trying to implement them on this, this custom grammar was really hard. And so Jacob kind of inspired this like reboot, um, where it's, it's kind of three main components. He's like, you know, start with a bot framework, like start with something that's just plain old JavaScript, node modules, people can do whatever, whatever else you want. Start to figure out how to make those easy to run, easy to deploy. Um, and then as, as you're working through that, like start to identify the common patterns and start to extract those into a higher level API. Uh, so in March, that kind of kicked off, and I basically, like, in a couple of days, just, like, tore out all the code. Um, in fact, you can still see the, the original code. We can like, put it in the show notes or something. Um, there, it's now a plug-in for the, the current bot framework is the original code. Um, so that was, yeah, I mean, that was kind of the story of how it got to where it is. Um, and then uh, this last June, um, GitHub has, every year, has this group of interns that come in. Um, and this last June, I randomly get this message from uh, someone named Bex. Um, actually, Bex is. Do you want to do you want to tell your side of the story? Yes, here? please do, Bex. Yeah, sure. So I joined GitHub as an intern, and I was really excited for my time there. And I was on the community and safety team. And going into the internship, I really had no idea what I was going to be working on. And when I got there on the first day, they told me that I was going to be doing some IBM Watson level sort of analysis <laughs> on toxic comments. And I was like, that sounds pretty cool. I want to prevent toxic comments in open source. And that was a very vague and not totally accurate description of what I ended up doing. But basically, the plan that they had laid out for me was to create a series of open source GitHub apps that were designed to help open source communities, large open source communities, build and grow and maintain open source contributors, and especially um, aimed at uh, diversity and inclusion in open source. And since we were building GitHub apps, the obvious platform that being GitHubers they had heard about was to use Probot. So I was basically assigned a summer of doing coding, working on Probot. So, What an awesome internship, by the way. I'm just... <laughs> I'm thinking back to my college internship, which was at a technology company where I basically spent the summer answering phone calls and helping people upgrade their version of Java. And I'm just, I'm totally jealous right now how awesome that internship sounds. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think the tagline of the GitHub internship is no coffee runs or something like that. Is that right? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. 
So, Brandon, you were saying when Bex got involved, um, that's when ProBot went from kind of being your your passion project that you were making moves on, but not necessarily getting too much closer to shipping to here we are a few months, you know, hence from the internship and now ProBot's out there, at least in a version that you're 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 willing to let everybody uh, participate in. So what what did Bex bring to the table that, that you were lacking? Um, so yes, we sat down, um, like Bex came in and we had a chat and just gave some awesome feedback. I mean, it was, it was, it was things like, uh, you know, hey, I'm trying to do this thing and there's no docs. Um, or like, what are you doing for testing? Um, which was a question we kind of wrestled through for a little while. Because a lot of it, like I've been just, you know, throwing a bunch of ideas together and, and seeing what sticks and um, not being super diligent about, about testing stuff. Um, and so I just think that like that initial like, like a partnership, I guess I would call it of like, you know, we, we started meeting it was probably a, at least once a week, like we would sit down and chat about like, here's the next big hurdle. Um, and it wasn't just, I mean, from the very beginning, like I think after our initial conversation about doc specs, I think you started submitting pull requests to like document some of the things that, that you had already run across. Um, but I think just having somebody that was like fully immersed in it, understood the the value of, of where it was going and constantly contributing, um, you know, questions and answers, uh, was just an awesome experience. So when you got to that point there with, with the lack of docs, it's a pet project, so to speak, a passion project, you're not really trying to be, you know, I, I guess production worthy, so to speak. It's sort of like tinkering in a way and a fun tinkering. How do you go, or what was the process going from that stage there to to getting docs? Did you sit down, Brandon, and do it, or uh, Bex? Were were you the person that you know took that to the next level? How did docs come from you know that moment there? What were the steps to go from no docs to docs? So I think that I just want to point out that when I came into this project, I didn't really understand that this was sort of Brandon's pet passion oh project. I I <laughs> thought this was like a very big deal and. You know, I was a little intimidated at first. I thought ProBot was this big, well-built-out thing. And over time, you know, I realized that there was a lot more I could contribute and give back. But I think that the first step was just um, having more conversations about it. Because at first, when you're just working on something alone, it's a lot harder to kind of figure out what the important things are, what the problems are. And I think probably the biggest step was when we decided to create a website for it. Brandon, you want to talk more about that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think at that point there had been, there'd been various forms of documentation just like stuffed in the docs folder on the repo. Um, and those were more meant for me and, you know, the couple other people that were looking at it. And then I think, uh, you know, well, the, what the sign of any open source project becoming mature is, is having a website. I don't know if that's true. I just made that up. <laughs> but it, but it, it's in there I think somewhere. it does force yeah, it's in there somewhere. I mean, I think it does force you, though, to think about, like, um, how does a project go from being uh, useful to being presentable? You know, like, like there's the part of it's just like, here's, here's the function that it serves, but then you also have to help people understand what that function is and, and maybe even where it's going. Um, and so, yeah, I think pulling together the site was, was a lot of that. Like, we just think through, like, how do you want to, how do we want to present this? Because um, it, there, there's also a part of this to me, which, which maybe we can dive in a little bit more, but like this is like step one and where I think a lot of platforms are going in a few years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the idea of 
of, of scriptable extensions um, and not necessarily like, like, you know, 10 years ago, like webhooks was kind of the big innovation. And, um, you know, and then you've had kind of this like app platform thing start to emerge. I think making your platform scriptable is going to be the next. And I think there's even a, a few steps beyond that. What kind of platforms make sense for that to be to play? Like, obviously you got some, you probably have some ideas, but like where aside from GitHub does something like ProBot work? Um, I mean, I think you've seen a lot of it already happening. So like, like Twilio has been launching some really cool stuff um, in terms of uh, not only making their platform more accessible to coders, but also non-coders. Um, you know, like taking the like, if this, then that type of, of mentality around um, controlling like these lower level services. Um, you've seen, uh, well, like, uh, Shopify has been doing this for a long time with, with the way that they allow you to, to, um, add functionality into your, your stores. Um, Stripe, I think has done an awesome job of, of some of this stuff. Um, but like, I think you're going to start to see any of these like software, uh, as a service type companies can benefit from this. Um, where I'm mean, because like for a lot of these companies and like I know GitHub experiences this a lot, like uh, the challenge isn't necessarily implementing the functionality, but it's actually deploying it. So like I can write a little workflow that customizes, you know, if, if a pull request open and ping this person, but now I have to deploy that to a server somewhere. Um, and for most of us, even, even, even with free offerings like uh, Zite now or um, Heroku or, um, uh, glitch glitch thank you that was the one i was trying to think <laughs> of um, which is amazing by the way if you haven't used glitch check it out but so even with those like there's still some sort of like maintenance overhead um and so i think starting to get to the point where um these scripts are are run and hosted by the companies whose platforms you're trying to extend i think it's going to be yeah. a huge opportunity for a so lot of these that's not where probot is now though you, you it seems like if i understand correctly uh, you're deploying your own version of it or is it run yep. on GitHub? Well, so there's, it's a little bit of a mix. We're, we're basically trying to, um, we're trying to get to this world where any ProBot app that you write is just magically running in the cloud. And I think, you know, things like glitch are an amazing, um, example of what can be done there. Uh, so what we're doing right now is, so it's a, it's a bot framework, uh, with, you know, written in node and in JavaScript. Um, and you can take that, build your own apps, deploy them yourself. And then we're taking a bunch of the ones that we think are incredibly useful and reusable. Uh, and we're running hosted instances of them. Mm. Um, so like an example, um, actually, Bex, you want to talk about like Sentiment Bot uh, or the Welcome Bot? Yeah, sure. So I was actually just the other day writing up some documentation about that. But um, yeah, so... During my internship, one of the bots I created was Sentiment Bot, which was the aforementioned sentiment analysis, but um, just done through um, Google's Perspective API. And basically, the bot runs in a way such that if you install it on your repository, it will scan through issue comments. And if there's an issue comment that is above a toxicity threshold that whoever owns the repository will set in a configuration file, the bot will comment on it and link to the repository's code of conduct, as well as just sort of a retroactive way of trying to get people to reconsider potentially negative circumstances. 
And so that app is hosted. So anyone who wanted to install Sentiment Bot on their repository could just go and click through and get a free version of it. But it becomes more complicated when people want to install multiple instances of apps or make certain customizations that really make sense for their project. So that's definitely a struggle we've had is making everything, you know, the deployed version work for every everyone's specific needs. So these, uh, the bots that are available on probot.github.io right now that are in the Explorer uh, section there, those are hosted by GitHub. But if you want to do your own version of those or something like it, you host it yourself. Exactly. Yep. Yep. There's, I think there's nine um, apps hosted right now. Um, probably by the time this airs, there'll be a few more. And there's a couple others that are about ready. Um, and then all of them that are, are listed on the site are open source. So you can you know, take and, and give feedback on those projects or to, you know, stand up your own instance. We, I do want to dive into the details on uh, both the examples. Like we, those are two great ones: the sentiment bot and the welcome bot. But maybe some other ones that exist to give people ideas of the types of things that people are building with Probot or what you can be build with Probot. And then we'd also like to talk some of the details of like how it works with the events and stuff. But before that, um, stay in big picture for a minute. Uh, Beck said something interesting there a few minutes back uh, when they said that when they first started. They, they didn't realize it was going to be, you know, Brandon's side project. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or Brandon's passion project. And then, you know, but, but I guess what that made me start thinking is there's this, I don't know, hazy relationship that I see from the outside with companies and people open source. And so you have Brandon working on this in his, in part, you know, spare time, but it's very much a GitHub thing. And the way you're talking, Brandon, with regards to like in the future, it would make sense if GitHub was, you know, first party hosting certain things. And it seems like it could be a valuable business endeavor for the company. And I would just love to have you speak on where all that stands and how you feel about it and, you know, what it's like to have a side project that's also kind of a company project. Yeah. Um, this this has been um, a, a big part of my life this summer, I guess. Um, I mean, obviously, like, I think that this is a direction that, that GitHub should look at going. Um, mm -hmm. It's still to be determined, I think, if, if this fits in with everything that GitHub is doing. I mean, either way, it'll be an open source project that exists and is part of the ecosystem. Uh, and I mean, one of the great things about GitHub is, and a lot of companies now, is, is their willingness to allow employees to kind of explore these ideas in open source. Um, like GitHub explicitly has this uh, balanced employee IP agreement, it's called. Uh, and I, I actually talked to our legal team in the last few weeks just around, uh, you know, if this does become like a future product thing, like, is there any conflicts in this? And, and this, uh, the, the guy I talked to said, this is exactly the kind of thing that they're hoping to encourage. Um, you know, if you, you should, companies should be encouraging their employees to kind of dabble at the edge of, of what might be an interesting product area. Um, and if something comes of it, great. Like I'm, I'm still employed by GitHub and like this can become uh, an important part of the, the company's future. And if not, like that's okay. Like it's been a, it's been a fun project and I think a lot of people will still benefit from it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the short answer to that is I would, I would love to see it become something official uh, and mm -hmm. still to be determined. I think the interesting thing about uh, a company like GitHub is that once you, and you've been there for a while too, Brandon. So, I mean, once you get to a, 
a place like you are as a company, it's pretty easy to start, you know, very similar to Amazon, you know, how they have their main business, but then they also have AWS and then all these other slivers of, you know, Amazon things, but they're very much standalone businesses. So I, I can see how, how maybe not so much how easy it is, but like marketplace, for example, or slash jobs, you know, you get your job where you get lots of different slivers of GitHub that isn't exactly GitHub's core mission. However, it all, it does lead to the core mission, which is, you know, advancing the open source mission. Yeah. Yeah. And I think an important part of marketplace, sorry, I think an important part of the marketplace is that, you know, it kind of encourages this open source ecosystem we're talking about. And I think that to an extent, ProBot isn't really sort of limiting that in the sense that, you know, when you talk about Amazon, some of those products, you know, have competitors outside of Amazon. But like what we're trying to do here is more of just a platform for GitHub apps that really anyone could become part of the ecosystem as opposed to like closing people out from it or right. like making it a GitHub only thing. Right. It's it's certainly focused on making GitHub smarter, I guess, for the uh, the individuals using it. But it's it's open to anybody to contribute, whether it's using the featured apps or sharing your app or, you know, having the the uh, you know the I guess the the flexibility to write your own and deploy your own. It's still the same probot. I think like just looking at GitHub's kind of product strategy, I guess if you will. Um, you know, like GitHub is a a tool that has become like literally the hub of software development. Um, but we're under no impression that like GitHub will be the only tool that you use. Yeah. I mean, every so- every software team is going to. Um, you know, bring their own chat service or bring their own CI or have their own internal tools that they've developed over the years that they want to use that, that should work alongside GitHub. Um, and what I think, like, what I get really excited about with ProBot and one of the reasons it's kind of been this, like, passion of mine is this idea that, like, this could be something that starts to glue GitHub to those other things. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if you're using Slack or, or HipChat or um, you know, if you're using Travis or Circle or Jenkins, like, uh, like, what's the connective tissue between all of those tools? Um, especially like as as more of our tools move into the cloud, um, I think it's important that like those connecting pieces are are open and accessible to to anyone to use and to modify. So, so when we talk about side projects, I always think of things like, I don't know, generative art or like your own programming language or, you know, things that are like either art driven or curiosity. But this is even though we, we I just I guess my point is we don't want to make light of it because it was a side or a passion project. Very much some, this is a proof of concept that you are very interested in seeing exist. And so, you know, you spent your spare cycles working on it. Do you have is there added pressure when you're building something that doesn't just represent Brandon, but also represents, you know, everybody who associates themselves with GitHub, the company or no big deal? Uh, I mean, that's a great question. I think it depends. Um, there's been moments in GitHub's past where there's, there is a lot of pressure to get something right the first time. Mm. Um, and I think like any company struggles with this, I think around like large product launches, um, you know, or like, you know, like if we roll out a feature, there's, I don't know, 5 million, 10 million developers using it right away. Um, you know, or 
Howard Lewis, I think there's like 25 million ish developers on GitHub at the moment. Um, so like there is a pressure in that sense to like, if you're going to roll out something at a large scale, like you better be kind of sure that it's right. Um, and our product teams have a lot of really good ways of, of arriving at that. And, you know, almost everything that we ship is, is iterative and like we start to roll it out to select groups and, and stuff like that. But so I think there is that sense in, in anything that's like kind of core, I guess, to the business. Um, something like this, and, and maybe since this was a side project and a passion project, I haven't felt so much of the pressure in terms of like what will people think of this with regard to GitHub. I think the bigger pressure has been like, I've kind of bought into this vision of where it's going. And mm-hmm. if it, if it doesn't work out, like that's a, been a pretty big bet for me personally. Um, and I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to be wrong, but like, uh, I don't want to be, I guess, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it <laughs> sounds like you have a lot of invested in this. Well, it's a big bet. Like he's putting his time into yeah. it. He's putting his work, like he's putting his name on it. This is where he thinks things are heading or he, he hopes so. And so that yeah. that's tough to put yourself out there like that. And I just like, I think for GitHub itself, I mean, like, so I won't pressure to bring up like dear GitHub, but like, um, for me, a lot of that is came out of that moment of like people were asking GitHub for things that like the engineering team couldn't necessarily deliver, um, and that's nobody's fault. Like the, we just have a, a, a very large audience, and, and that's a good problem to have. But that doesn't mean that we can't enable people to start building those things themselves. In fact, I think the community would be better off if we got into a place we the community not GitHub if we got to the place where as a community we were starting to actually build features for each other. Um, you know, like a, a large open source project like Kubernetes knows a lot more about the pains of managing a large open source project than, um, you know, uh, someone working on, on some product feature um, at GitHub or any company. Um, and so I kind of want to get want us to get to the point where some of these communities that are like pushing the edge of, of where software is are the ones that are thinking about, you know, like if I... Uh, you know, build this little bot or build this little feature like it's a tool that I can share. I mean, this is kind of like open source at its heart, right? Uh, so I want to I see us start to get to that with, with all of the other products that we use, not just um, tools and libraries that we run on our local machine. Coming up after the break, we talk with Brandon and Bex about more of ProBot apps bots, whatever you want to call them. You know, you want to know how they interact with the GitHub marketplace, how it's built into GitHub apps, what the vision of ProBot is, what it might look like in two or three years. And it might even be cool if ProBot lived inside GitHub instead of a self-hosted kind of thing you got to run on your own. So we talk about all those details after this. This episode is sponsored by CircleCI. CircleCI is a continuous integration and delivery platform that helps software teams rapidly release code with confidence by automating the build, test, and deployment process. They recently launched version 2.0 of their platform with a focus on providing faster build times thanks to advanced caching strategies and flexible resource allocation, super fast build cycles, ensure quality code by using SSH access and local builds to quickly troubleshoot and remediate. 
flexibility to run CI and CD without limits. There's no pausing work while environments update and language inclusivity frees up your team to use any tool chain or framework because CircleCI supports every language that runs on Linux. And finally, control workflows, let your team run, build test deploy stages as individual jobs, which lets you fully customize your development process. There's a ton more to learn about CircleCI, so head to circlecicom changelawpodcast. Once again, circlecicom changelawpodcast to learn more. So Brandon, you said that the, the the form of robot, what it exists as today, began to solidify for you um, when you had some help from from your friend, but also when you started thinking about the use cases that you were trying to solve for. Um, we like to hear some of the use cases out there. We hear a little bit about sentiment bot and was it welcome bot? Um, yep. But surely there's more than just that. So tell us like some of the things that Probot can do today, and then we'll get into maybe what Probot can do in the future. Yeah, sounds good. Um, I so probably the first uh, app that really took off was the Stale app, um, and what it does is it just sweeps your repository for stale issues and pull requests. Um, this is kind of a, a problem that plagues every open source project, where you um, you know either open up a bunch of issues of things you want to do eventually, or uh, the community starts to come in and make feature requests, um, and most of those things are great ideas. Uh, and probably things that could and should be done given infinite resources, but the reality is just that like they're not going to get done. Um, and I've actually uh, over time started to notice this happening within GitHub as well. Um, you know, a lot of our projects are going to use issues and pull requests to manage them, and I started to feel like completely overburdened by all of the unfinished work that was in front of us. Um, and so there was a, a uh, the Jekyll project, Jekyll is the thing that powers GitHub pages, uh, had an app that would, if there was no activity on a, on a project, would just ping it and say, hey, it looks like there hasn't been any you know, recent activity on this. Um, if there's no more activity in like a week, I'm going to close this issue. Uh, and so that was kind of one of the first ones where I was like, oh man, this is awesome. Like this, every project should have this. Um, so we built Stale. Um, it's now used by, uh, I don't actually have an account in front of me, um, I would guess 150 to 200 organizations on GitHub. Um, last time I looked, it had commented on like 6,500 issues, um, 6,500 public issues, because um, you can also use these on, on private repositories as well. Um, and yeah, it just helps, it helps you keep your project in shape and, and uh, make it so that everything that's open is either actionable or things that you intend to, um, to keep open and keep on the radar of the team. I think that's really helpful. Like, in this, there's a weird social dynamic when you have a certain issue that just goes unworked on for long enough, where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, this should really be closed, but I feel weird closing it explicitly because that's <laughs> mean or rude or something. Yeah. And so it's like if we can shove off, you know, these hard things onto robots and just be like, well, it just passed the threshold and it's stale now. And so um, yeah. I guess that's what has to happen. It's it almost it's a freeing. It frees you up to not feel it's so bad about that. This is the conflict, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Because you can't really get mad at a robot. <laughs> well, you can, but it doesn't help. Right. I mean, right. they're not going to argue back. Yeah. Unless, yeah. unless you program it. You feel it a little silly. <laughs> yeah, you would feel a little silly, exactly. <laughs> Which so that, that, that actually, 
Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that might lead us later on to where we, we saw your best practices for robots. We might dive into that yeah. at the end if we have time, but I continue. Yeah, on. I was actually just going to bring that up related to getting mad at a robot. I mean, um, so actually, is that all right if we go into that real quick? Yeah, yeah let's do it. Part out. Just, just real quick based on stale because I think that's really relevant. Um, so yeah, one of the, one of the kind of notions behind most of these apps that, I, that we've been working on is you should build it in a way that it acts as a normal human would, um, to a degree. So like stale, we want it to not do something that a maintainer wouldn't be willing to do. Um, and, and it should be practicing, you know, empathy. So thinking about how are the, how's the community going to receive this? So the stale bot will, uh, it will come out and say like, Hey, if there's no more activity, I'm going to close this, but it does give people a chance to voice their interest and say like, actually, I do really care about this. I want to make it happen. Um, and so I think that's a really important it's important for the entire like bot ecosystem and app ecosystem to think about uh, as you know as our lives become kind of surrounded by robots. I think it's it's going to be get to the point where we're just overwhelmed and um, we're, we're around all these dumb robots that don't care about us as humans. Um, but as long as, as long as the the designers of those robot, robots are remembering that like there's humans on humans on the other side of that, I think that we can design good interactions. Um, there's also that uncanny valley of when a robot is almost sounds human but then mm-hmm. it's almost like i mean siri a lot of times or the google equivalent will be it's like more annoying because it's so close to being like sentient but it's mm-hmm. not you know um, exactly way too often i give siri more credit than uh, well i say she or he you know depending upon the voice you choose but you know it's like no siri i did not mean that and it's just like i forgot you're a robot you're you don't have you don't even yeah. care what i'm saying to you yeah you know it's you get to that point, it's like, well, and you, and, uh, Bex, back to what you said, you kind of feel stupid because you're talking to a robot and they actually don't <laughs> really care. And in, based on the last message, they don't understand either. That reminds me, do you guys know, know what Siri, uh, calls me, my nickname? Adam, you know this. I told you this one. Uh, it calls me, how do you say toilet in Spanish? <laughs> and the reason it says that. <laughs> because right when they added some Siri features, I pulled it out and I was going to test it. And I said, hey, Siri, how do you say toilet in Spanish? And then she responds and says, oh, I actually just triggered her. <laughs> Shut up, Siri. That's awesome. Sorry. <laughs> so then Siri so responded and she goes, OK, I'll call you. How do you say toilet in Spanish? And I said, That's awesome. I said, yes, you will. And so she's been calling me that ever since. <laughs> Were you with me when that happened? Yeah, I was riding riding in your car. That's right. I was like, that that feels really, really familiar. I mean, I knew that, but I didn't. It was like two and a half years ago, and she still calls me that to this day. That is so funny. Even inside mail, when it comes a new email in, (laughs) it'll be like, from Brandon Keepers to how do you say toilet in Spanish? (laughs) Anyways. Yeah, the Uncanny Valley, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of feels about the body ecosystem and it's emerging, and like one of my... um, strongly held beliefs at the moment is that like I don't converse with bots. Like I want, I want bots that either know what I want or that I can command. Um, like I don't want to have to have a conversation with a robot knowing that it's a robot. Right. Um, so, so like I like that my robot vacuum just every day, uh, vacuums the floor at 9am because at one point I told it that like 9am is the time that is ideal to, right. to vacuum the floor. Um, I like that like my Nest thermostat, you know, adjust the temperature based on my behavior in the past. And like, I don't have, I shouldn't have to talk to it. 
Um, so yeah, there's this fine line between like bots practicing empathy and like going too far to like them pretending to be human. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see where that goes in the next six to 12 months. We'll add your list of best practices uh, to the show notes. The top level categories are empathy, autonomy, and configuration. So anybody out there building a bot, check out these best practices. And if you have best practices of your own, I don't know, PR, or maybe we should, you know, have a thing that is beyond just ProBot, but in general, I think best practices for building bots would be a cool thing for, uh, for anybody to have access yeah. to. Yeah. So give us back to use case a little bit. We got stale. We've talked about sentiment and welcome bot. Uh, what are some other things that people will build with ProBot? Yeah, I'm going to talk about DCO for a bit because I think DCO is kind of a cool niche use case. So I think that um, back when ProBot was in some of its early days, uh, some of the Linux Foundation people who are really into using the developer certificate of origin um, approached ProBot and were like, can you build us a bot that will essentially check for a sign-off on every single commit? And so DCO is a bot that does that pretty simply. And I think it's a really interesting use case just because of you, we have recently been running into a lot of stuff talking about how you handle errors and what to do when a commit sign-off doesn't have the DCO sign-off. Like, what should we do in that case? How do we correctly communicate with a user that you don't have the sign-off? And to basically say, you know, here's how you can fix it and add your sign-off if you agree with the developer certificate of origin. And it's, you know, it's a really simple bot. I think that going back to best practices a little bit, Bots commenting on things can get really, really tedious really quickly. I, for a while, was running several of the bots I built all on one repository, and having three comments in a row from three different bots just doesn't help anything. And it's honestly, it can be really annoying, which is not really what you want your bot to be. So DCO is only a status check, similar to like a CI check. And I think bots like that that just solve a really simple task are some of the really the coolest ones that we've built. So it's almost like the bots are to some degree reacting based on some sort of action or event, as we'll hear about in this bit, but then potentially even trying to have a conversation to some degree, like stepping on each other's toes, basically. Wasn't there somebody who had uh, two bots that were in an infinite loop at some point on a GitHub thread? Yeah. I can't yeah, recall the details funny. of that, but I remember thinking... There was an infinite loop somewhere where one bot was doing one thing and the other was undoing it or replying to it, and they just kept going back and forth until I don't know. Is there can GitHub segfault? Yeah. Can the whole website segfault? <laughs> yeah, at some point the bots reach uh, abuse, hit, trigger abuse mechanisms. But exactly. I've, I've seen a few. I've seen a few threads like that. There's, there's been some been some really clever ones actually, where um, they'll use kind of bots to playfully interact uh, in the pull request, which is fun. So. Most of the um, apps you have listed here, though, seem to be focused around uh, scripting a better issues user experience or some sort of communication pattern back to the humans involved. Since we're talking about bots and humans, basically, you know, the humans involved in a repository or project. Is that kind of where most of the you know current featured apps are, or is that where you see them playing the best fit? Where's the state of that? It's probably more of a reflection of like where our heads have been at. Um, just trying to think through like like how do you demonstrate that you can add features on top of GitHub, um, and some of them are, are what I would consider rather core features. So like uh, there's an app for 
configuring GitHub settings via pull requests. So you just commit uh, a config YAML to your to your repo, and you can change the project name, you can change the, the topics, you can change whether it's public or private. So you can have you know like open sourcing a pull, uh, repo is now a pull request. Um, you can change the collaborators that are on it. You can cha- you know configure the labels. Um, so just kind of trying to get people thinking in this idea of, you know, even something like that, which seems, you know, it's like, oh, well, if we're going to have pull requests on repos, on repo settings, like that would have to be a core GitHub feature. Um, but really it's not. Like the, the API pretty much allows you to do anything you can do from the web UI. Um, so starting to demonstrate some of those features. Um, there's also a few bots of just, or uh, I'm trying to not say bots, a few apps. Um, well, apps is why kind did, of Why did you want to say bots? <laughs> um, it is. We had a great <laughs> branding decision in oh 2017, in which we yeah. transitioned from saying plugins to saying apps all the time, and we also decided to not say bots at that time. I think so your bot is to build apps, but it's a bot. <laughs> I know it's unfortunately named. Naming is hard. Oh boy. <laughs> um. I think, I mean, so the bot, uh, part of it is just there's a lot of craze about bots. Like, as soon as any, like, you know, the, like, technosphere gets excited about something, um, I'm always kind of naturally skeptical. Mm. Um, and so for me, I think, I mean, bots, I think, are really important, will continue to be important, but they're currently in, like, one of those hype cycles. And I want to make sure that uh, as, as we come out of that hype cycle, that this doesn't die with that. Um, because I think there's more to it than just bots. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's more than it's more about building applications and utilities that extend the, the tools and platforms that we use. Right. Um, and apps have already been through their hype cycle and and back yeah. in 08. <laughs> just, yeah. Now, now it's just practical. Mm-hmm. We're over it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think the other part of it is kind of going back to that uncanny valley idea. Um, there's a really great talk actually by a woman named, named Kate Compton um, called "The Poetics of Bots." Uh, and Kate's actually speaking at GitHub Universe, uh, uh, actually Platform Day, which is kind of the day before GitHub Universe, about this. And her, uh, I probably won't be able to summarize it very well, but she looks at like uh, Plato's ideas of poetics, which is like theater and the way that we, we present stories to each other. Um, and she, t- she compares that to like, what is a bot? Uh, well, a bot is an algorithm with eyes. Um, so it's, it's this, this computer algorithm thing that we give a personality to. Um, and I love that notion starting to think about like, it's not just like the, the functionality of the application, but it's the way that we experience it in the same way that it's the way that we experience theater. Um, mm. so I, I, so I love that, which you'd, you'd think I would be tempted to call it bots, yeah. but I, I, there's also this fine line between like, like a lot of these things actually aren't intended to be bots. They're intended to just be algorithms or software. Um, kind of going back to my idea of like, I don't want to converse with a robot. I want a robot to just do the thing that I need done um, with as minimal interaction for me as possible. So, so between the hype cycle and that notion of like, I think a bot does have a personality and some of these things don't. Um, and there's an important distinction there. There's an aspect of scale there. And I want to, I want you to tell me if I'm keen into it or if I'm being misled, but with a bot and even with a lot of the existing apps that you guys have with stale, with welcome, with a sentiment bot. Uh-oh, it's an app called Bot. Um, these, <laughs> the, <laughs> naming is hard. These things all are kind of like the Unix philosophy, like one thing well, right? They're very small in scope of what they try to accomplish. Um, 
but then when you go to like GitHub Marketplace where apps exist and you have like Circle CI and you know all these other things that are like business level integrations with GitHub, is Probot always going to live in the small Unix philosophy of like scripting GitHub, or is it also supposed to scale up because and you're building apps with Probot that you can maybe build a business on? Mm-hmm. Which one is it? Um, that's a good question. Uh, so from the beginning, uh, Bex mentioned that we originally called them plugins. Um, and it was it's actually designed so that any of these apps can all be run from the same instance, the same deployment. Um, like you just it's just uh, we can talk more about the how it's built, but it's all node. Um, and so if you want to combine mo- multiple of these together, you just declare dependencies on each of those packages and then it'll start up and, and run all of them in one instance. And that was kind of intentional starting to look at how some of these large open source projects were designing their automation. Um, you know, like look at a project like Kubernetes that I mentioned earlier, like they have a ton of really awesome tools built around their GitHub project, but they're mm-hmm. all these monoliths that are tied to Kubernetes workflow. Um, and so the idea was let's try and pull all of these individual pieces of functionality out so that they're, you know, we can deploy them and they're useful on their own. But then if somebody has custom needs or, you know, if it's an enterprise that wants to run something like kind of uh, on their own infrastructure, they can pull all these together and not have to reinvent the wheel. So um, I, I think to try, I mean, to, to more directly answer your question, I think the answer is actually, I don't know. Um, okay. I think I like I like building small things because they're easier. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like, like as, uh, like, Bex and I have kind of had this back and forth a lot where like we have all these really tiny apps, which is really nice because like every single one is this like new fresh start. But then like you start to see the patterns in all of them as well, um, which I think is kind of helpful for influencing future design. So mm. we'll see. We'll see well, on that note, uh, since this is the framework for building GitHub apps and GitHub apps is essentially um, what if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but if the the marketplace is built on this GitHub Apps idea, right? Yep. Okay. So if if that's the case, then so you then have this passion project you've been you know lifting up, Brandon, and then now Bex is involved and others are involved, and it's become you know more and more legit, so to speak. It's no longer this this side thing that doesn't have a name or a face or visibility, so to speak. Website. Right. A website documentation, <laughs> all the things we've talked about. It seems to me um, that the worlds are colliding, so to speak. You're giving people the ability to create what is in Marketplace, but Marketplace has its own strings attached, which is like if it's a for-profit kind of thing, you have revenue share, you've got sort of some edge cases that you may not be personally able to answer now, but that at some point ProBot may graduate to be something renamed or altogether different, but with similar roots where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. So the way I see this is that there's, I mean, there's the set of features that GitHub decides to build into the product on one side, um, and then you have on the on the other end of the spectrum, um, if you think about it that way, there's marketplace apps, which are things that that are profitable products that that, that have enough value that you can go and like resell them and build a business around them. And I think in the middle, there's this massive gap of features that are useful to developers, but that aren't profitable for someone to start a business on and aren't interesting for GitHub to build. Mm, Um, 
And so I, th- I think that's the sweet spot for Prova. I mean, like, you know, if somebody wants to try and build a business on closing stale issues, like <laughs> best of luck. But like, you know, those are, <laughs> those are just the type of things that like, you know, we yeah. shouldn't have to deal with as developers. Like we shouldn't have to deal with the overhead of, you know, the, these little lacks of automation in our lives, uh, lack of automation in our lives every day. But like some of these things just aren't profitable. Um, and so I'm kind of like the way I've thought about it and tried to explain it to other people is like, my hope is that this fills in that gap in the middle. So, you know, developers get the best experience. You get you know, first class features from GitHub, great apps from, from marketplace partners and everything in the middle. Like you can, the community can build themselves and share. Um, inevitably, I think it is going to force marketplace people to, to keep going up the stack mm-hmm. um, and try and find things that are higher value and this is i mean this is kind of just i think the story of like human progress where it's you know we're constantly solving one problem that used to be profitable and then now it becomes commoditized and you have to go on and solve the next problem um so i think it it will have that effect but i think in the end developers win i mean we we get better tools Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know i think even people building businesses like you're, you're going on and building more interesting businesses that are harder to replicate um, which I think puts you in a better position. Let's talk about the technical nitty gritty a lot, a little bit. You mentioned Node, but just thinking from the perspective of, okay, I would like to script my GitHub. How can I use Probot? What are the events that are exposed? How do I program against it? We know it's going to be some JavaScript or anything that compiles to JavaScript, I suppose. But uh, tell us how it all works. Um, so basically, uh, what you need to do is you need to go on GitHub itself and set up a GitHub app. And from there, you get a few things. You get an app ID and a private key. And then you can start running a ProBot server from there. And that's kind of your connection to GitHub. Through there, you can also um, set up permissions, basically. And so the core of ProBot is listening on GitHub webhooks. And GitHub webhooks are basically anytime you do an action on GitHub, Anytime a pull request is opened, you open a new issue, you close an issue, all of those different things count as a webhook. And so we can listen on those different webhooks and then take actions based off of them. So you set up a GitHub app, you choose your permissions, say you want to do something every time a new issue is opened. So you choose the issue event and you give the app that permission and then in your local dev environment, you can, you know, um, paste the very simple ProBot code. I think there's some on the front page of the website documenting. Um, you just basically have a robot act on issues.opened. And from there, you'll get the context of the what's known as the payload, which is basically the webhook event that has just occurred. And GitHub's API is pretty, <laughs> pretty intense. So you'll get a lot of information about that issue that's been opened. And then based off of that, you can do anything with the content. And we have a built-in GitHub API client um, through the Node GitHub library. And from there, you can basically take any action on GitHub. You can add labels, close the pull request, assign people, et cetera, and pretty much do anything from there with the code. (laughs) Sounds so easy. Anything to add, Brennan? No, uh, Bex covered it. Um, I mean, it's yeah, it's it basically tries to abstract all of the details um, about building an app that that are not unique to the app that you're trying to build. Um, so you get you, know, you listen for the events. You have an authenticated GitHub client, and then you can start uh, making making use of any of the APIs available on GitHub. So yeah. 
So it probably would be exhaustive to go through all of the events and stuff, but maybe as if there's, um, and of course, you know, there's documentation now, so go read that. But are there, is there anything that's glaringly missing? Like, oh, I want to build this, but, um, you know, you guys have already thought of that and you can't do it because of reason X, Y, or Z. Um, up until recently, the pull request reviewer API was unavailable to GitHub apps, but I think as of... Um, Potentially soon, most of that will no longer be an issue, right, Brandon? Yep, I believe so. Um, to kind of expand on that, the so GitHub Apps was one of the first major features that that was launched as a like preview feature. Um, so launched last year at Universe, um, and kind of the idea was like, you know, get it out in front of people so that they can start using it, and building on it. Um, keep iterating on it. So the the result of that is actually that there's um, still some things that that are in progress. Uh, one of that being some APIs still aren't aren't set up to work with GitHub Apps. But hopefully, um, I, the, the platform team is working really hard on that. So hopefully, that won't be the case soon. Um, every API should be available. Uh, that's that's available. Yeah. So cool. So next up, let's talk about use cases that don't exist. Um, and maybe y'all could just throw out some ideas. You probably had more than we have in terms of thinking about a thing, but not actually building the app for a reason, for reasons. But um, we have some some apps that exist. Are there apps that, I mean, there obviously are apps that don't exist, but what are some things that you've thought of that you just haven't had time to build yet or you'd love for somebody to be inspired and go build a, a ProBot app? So there's a couple apps that are in progress. Um, hopefully, actually, well, a couple of them will be available by the time um, this publishes, but um, some of them I think will be a long time. Uh, one of them that should be available is a reminders app. Um, one of my one of my frequent problems with with GitHub issues or just work in general is somebody will ask me about something. It's like, oh yeah, well I'm, I have this and this going on, but I'll come back to it next week. Um, and I have, I don't have a great system for, for doing reminders. Like I've tried to do lists and task lists and using reminders apps all over the place. Um, but one of the things that I've figured out works for me with, with everything in life is I store information about that thing in the place where I'm going to act on it. So like I keep, you know, keep book recommendations as a wish list in Amazon because that's where I'm going to buy them. Or I keep, you know, movie recommendations, um, in an app on my phone that I, you know, buy movies through. Um, and so I want like for reminders, like I want those in GitHub. Uh, so we're building basically, uh, introducing a couple new concepts with ProBot, the idea of slash commands. Um, so I can you know, reply to your issue, say, Hey, yeah, you know, I'm in Amsterdam this week, um, but I'll take a look at it next week. And then just below that slash remind me next week to you know do whatever. Um, so that'll be, that should be launched here pretty soon. Um, there's the linter. Uh, Bex, you want to talk about that? You've probably worked on that more than I have at this point. Yeah, so Linter kind of became is my current little pet robot app I'm trying to get working. But basically, the goal of that one is to, whenever you push up a commit that's using, right now it's just um, implemented for JavaScript because that's what ProBot's in, so it's easiest. Um, and then it would automatically push up a follow-up commit linting your code for you it, mm. for any linting things you might have missed. And so basically just taking the hassle out of having to read through a CI log telling you you don't have a semicolon like 20 lines down. <laughs> Brandon, when you were saying what you said about, uh, you know, the the slash commands and things like that, it, it kind of made me feel like since you said it's 
this is designed to help you uh, add features and whatnot to GitHub. It almost made me feel like, you know, the reminders idea could be to similar to how a browser extension will recognize that you're on an XYZ site. For example, Hacker News, where it'll say buffer this or do something somewhere else where it actually adds interface. So, you know, mm-hmm. in the sidebar you might have, rather than just a slash command, you might actually have a brand new piece of interface because you have this app installed and, you know, the interface, maybe it's a standard way GitHub has interface. So I'm thinking like you can maybe add things to the sidebar or add metadata to, to issues or just different things like mm-hmm. add things to GitHub that aren't GitHub and maybe store that data somewhere. I'm not even sure how, but this seems to open the door to allow you to kind of make GitHub <laughs> your own. Is that kind of what you're thinking? <laughs> That's metadata. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of actually one of our goals and experimenting with this is trying to figure out how to push the platform. I mean, yeah, the idea that adding adding UI to GitHub is not new. I mean, a lot of integrators and stuff have been asking for that, and it's something that, that a lot of people on the platform team are really interested in. Um, I think it, it's just a matter of like figuring out what are those patterns. Um, you know, personally, like what I would love to see is if I install an uh, integration or an app that offers CI, like there should be a rebuild button on the side of the page. Yeah. Or, you know, if I install an app, if I install it like Heroku or the AWS app, like there should be a deploy button. Um, mm-hmm. So trying to sh- we're just trying to like tease out some of those patterns. And a lot of these, again, are, are things that like the platform team has, has been thinking about for a long time. Um, there's some of them are just really hard problems. And so I think what, what we're trying to do is figure out how can we standardize at least the concepts behind them. So uh, like another example of this is that DCO app that Bex mentioned. Um, we've been trying to figure out how to surface errors to users in a way that's helpful. Because like DCO, like if you don't do it right, you have to rewrite all of your commits. Um, and the status checks are really great in GitHub, except that they don't give you a spot to actually then like help users resolve those errors you know like if your if your ci fails like you click through the link and then circle or, or your ci system is like has the error log um and so it's really interesting to think about like how can we bring those back into github um and so we're yeah we're just like experimenting with a lot of those patterns storing metadata on issues slash commands um displaying the results of checks like you know ci or, or dco so this is very much in the, the skunkworks slash it's out there. It's available. However, it's, it's early in its days. So a lot of innovation, a lot of change could be potentially expected because you're sort of in this, how should it work? How could it work? What does the community really want? What does the community really need? And even down to, you know, how is it hosted? Cause you've got one, which is, you know, hosted apps that you do just in a, in a dot GitHub uh, directory inside of your repository. Or the opposite, which is, you know, hosting, you know, externally, Heroku, Git, Glitch, you know, however, um, it seems like you're still in the very, it's, it's, it's a cake being baked uh, state. It's not, it's not ready for, it's ready for usage, but maybe not full on consumption. Yeah. Um, I think like one of the things we've been trying to do with all that though, is like recognize some of the, the, at least the, um, abstractions early on and pull those out so that the apps aren't having to, uh, so like actually I think the config one would be a good example. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about that? Thanks. Yeah. So one thing that was one of the original goals of ProBot was to not have to use any outside data storage. 
So most third-party integrators like Travis, any CI service, have their own website and you go to their own website and that's where you kind of view all the data that they're trying to give you. But with ProBot, we don't, none of the apps at this moment have their own website. So basically, we just wanted to be able to build apps that were purely dependent on your GitHub repo. So that's why we came up with the idea of having configuration in .github files so that all of the basically history of your GitHub app lives within GitHub. So it's kind of purely using GitHub as its platform. And recently, we've been having a lot of conversations about the best ways to store configurations that aren't annoying for people, because we've had people want to install GitHub apps at an organizational level. If you have 100 repositories in your organization and you want the same stale settings to act on them, it's kind of we're not really in a space right now where you can easily set that up for all 100 repos without having a configuration file in every repository. And we haven't really seen a lot of good patterns for apps that are acting upon it without having some sort of, you know, third party actor doing it for them. So it's right now you're not sure how to do it at a corporate level across uh, an organization, but you can do it now at at uh, project levels. Yeah, there are definitely ways to accomplish it for an organization. It's just maybe not as easy as it could be. Right. An elegant solution that allows you to easily manage it. That makes sense. I have an app idea. <laughs> Share it, Jared. Let's hear it. Okay. Bear with me. It's called Changelog Promoter Bot. <laughs> and it, it watches every repository on all of github.com issues. <laughs> and anybody, anytime somebody references a changelog, it just chimes in and says, I'm sorry, did you mean the changelog, an awesome podcast about open source? Or did you mean the actual changelog of this project? Oh, and it just links to our website. I have a feeling that will get marked as spam. Yeah, the spam bots That's are very idea. aggressive. I actually, on my testing bot, got it marked as spam within my first three days of my internship at GitHub. And oh, wow. It was quite scary. <laughs> Achievement unlocked. Wow. <laughs> We're very close to uh, bot slash app spam. Oh yes, yeah. a problem we do not want on GitHub. I mean, it's it's hard not to keep up with notifications, let alone spam. Spammers. Mm-hmm. No spam. No spam. Uh, what's some what's some ways that people can get involved? Is it to is it to build apps? Is it to get involved with the framework itself? What are ways that people who are excited about Probot and this possibility of scripting GitHub, you know, to our liking? Uh, what's the best way that the hacker community can help out this project? Yeah, so if you check out the website, uh, probot.github.io, um, there's there's basically three main ways right now. So one, just start using some of the apps, like give feedback on the, the ones that are already hosted. Um, and then we link to all the other ones on GitHub that, that have been written so far. Just go try them, hack them, you know, figure out what, what makes sense and what works for you and what doesn't. Um, and then, yeah, the second thing is like start to dive into to, to playing around with it. It's really easy to, to get started with the Hello World example. Um, you can run it on Glitch, so it's free hosting. You can edit it live right in the browser. Um, and then, you know, the third third way is just getting involved with the community. Um, there's been a really fun community around this project, um, kind of starting, you know, starting with Vex, but then uh, several of GitHub's interns this summer got really involved. Um, so, like, uh, Jason at Co., uh, on, on GitHub, uh, Englund B. Um, oh, I started naming people now. I'm going to forget a bunch of people. 
uh, but yeah, like the, the community is, is, is starting to take off. Um, we, we do lots of trout slapping in the slack room, <laughs> which is, is that a phrase that's familiar to you guys? Or? No, I was, I was lost. Okay. Trout slapping. I, is that like, are you a bear? Yeah, something like that. I don't even, I don't even know how it started. <laughs> we, we were, so we also have, um, continuing our plug for ourselves, uh, um, a weekly office hours that we just host. It's basically a video conference that anyone can join, ask questions, get help. And during that video conference, someone was talking about some product on Slack called Slap. And, you know, being curious, I Googled it. And the first result was this Slack app that just you had a slash trout command and it would just slap people with trout, like fish <laughs> trout. <laughs> Oh, and so we built one for our own Slack channel so that we could trout slap each other. Mm. <laughs> I think it's a, it's, it's a term of endearment. It's basically It seems like, like it. I want to be trout yeah, slapped. Yeah. So. Very Slack channel. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that the, your, your contributing document is pretty thorough, too, in terms of, like, adding apps and, you know, in terms of next steps. You know, someone might be saying... You know, how do I add an app or how do I host my own app? So your contributing documentation has some pretty good information there in terms of like adding your app to the website, you know, adding a new file in the, the slash apps directory, all that good stuff. So that's a, a pretty, pretty neat little thing to be able to add that. Is there any is what can somebody expect in terms of protocol after they do that? Like, is it a pull request that obviously will get opened up? But like, what's the process of like criteria, so to speak, of of accepting or even the kind of apps you're looking to accept? Yeah, so I actually outlined most of that document. And basically, the goal was um, the number one concern is that it's just not like an existing app, and it is its own app, and it actually does something on GitHub. It accomplishes some tasks through, through the UI. And that's basically it for listing an app. Um, we will basically list any app that, you know, does something and to the best of our knowledge, you know, isn't stolen or copyrighted in any way. Um, but for hosted apps, we have a few more strict requirements. We'd like to see some basically minimal documentation for how you can get set up. Usually it's just a screenshot of the bot in action is enough, or if there's any configuration needed, what that is going to look like. Um, we also want our, the apps that we host, obviously, to be open source. And then a couple of other just general maintenance things, like we want it to have a license, we want them to have code of conducts and someone willing to maintain them. But it's a pretty simple process. Either me or Brandon would probably reply to anyone who opened a pull request pretty quickly. So is the is the is it possible that you would have an app that you have here but then also host yourself? I mean it seems like adding your app is one thing, but then hosting your own app is is potentially another. Uh, will you have sort of like two directories, like one is the, you know, the featured that are on there, the nine now, plus the more that are coming, and then potentially a list of hosted apps that are sort of like uh, best of, so to speak, or just like from the community? Yeah, I think I mean, the ones that are listed now are all hosted. Um, we're still undecided, like if we want to, like kind of in, in the back of my mind, I've always had like, we'll feature the ones that are like one click install. And then if there's other ones, you know, any, anything else where you have to run yourself, it kind of requires a little more digging. Mm -hmm. um, but that's also like, that's a hard like chicken and egg problem for some of these apps that are trying yeah. to get traction. So I think we'll probably, you know, just exercise a little bit of editorial around, you know, like there's a couple apps. Uh, there, there's one that does duplicate issue detection as an example. Um, so you open a new issue and it will, 
um, search for other issues that look like that and then comment and be like, hey, like, were you looking for this other one? Um, something like that to me seems really, really useful and that I would love to just see have a, a version out there. Um, but it, had, it basically just needs a little bit more work to improve the algorithm. Um, I so guess yeah, we'll, so I was going to say what's nice, too, is that you're actually, you know, linking up repository directories like uh, the work in progress, for, for example, is um, Internet Slow is from Gregor and seems to be not a GitHubber uh, from Hoodie. And but the person or persons or community that are involved in that repository that or that app get some credit, so to speak, on when they get their app listed. Credit where credit's due, yeah. right? Yep. And we were we've also talked about adding more like community content style features, adding better ways to, you know, give credit to people who are contributing to apps, but maybe not the main creator. We were also considering talking about adding, you know, a blog and featuring uh, a different app every month and just having sort of community content once, you know, as ProBot hopefully grows to basically be able to give people credit where credit is due. Yeah. Well, very cool. Well, uh, Bex and uh, Brandon, thank you so much for taking your time. And, you know, obviously the the promise to care about the community, I think this is certainly something that uh, the GitHub and larger open source community will really appreciate because you're putting a lot of power back into the user's hands and, and being able to do things that obviously they weren't able to be able to do before, and 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 uh, to Greenfield. So hopefully, this stays uh, in place and becomes something that people use quite a lot. And thank you so much for joining us. You guys are awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to the Change Law this week. If you enjoyed the show, share it with a friend or two. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. And thanks to our sponsors, Bugsnag and CircleCI. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. We host everything we do on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash changelog. Check them out. Support this show. That's how we pay the bills. The Changelog is hosted by myself, Adam Stokowiak and Jared Santo. It's edited by Jonathan Youngblood. And the awesome music you hear when we play these shows is produced by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can find more shows just like this at changelaw.com or by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>